This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and this episode, number 335, we're going to all drink love potions and talk about how they make us feel as we discuss magic that steals player agency. Joining us for this episode, Crowder, the most charming panelist in the world. First up is board-certified psychologist, therapeutic dungeon master, and 13th level bard, although we're going to try to hit a milestone and get her 14th in this episode. Welcome back, Dr. Megan Connell. Hello, thank you for having me. And also with us is a stalwart Tome Show social media manager and 11th level paladin. Welcome back, Joel Alvarez. Good to be back as always. All right, so as usual, I want to remind folks that if you want to see the Tome Show recordings live and unedited, you can watch us record at twitch.tv slash tomeshow, where you can also follow us and be notified when a recording is about to start. Uh, or if you miss a live recording but still want to see the video, the Tome Show also has a YouTube channel where you can get the unedited video um, that gets posted there usually after a live recording. Uh, and then, you know, Sam gets a hold of it and fixes it and makes us sound good and, and particularly makes me not sound as dumb um, and then puts it out in the audio podcast as usual. So, And in this episode, we're going to chat about instances in D&D where magic takes away player agency. Is it also fair maybe we talk about not just players but, like, characters too? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and while this episode is not about the first draft that Watson released for the Love Domain, it was inspired by that incident. Uh, for folks who don't know, uh, Wizards of the Coast around Valentine's Day had uh, released a Love Domain cleric that used some spells that could be considered mind control spells. And there was some uh, commentary from the community about that. And we wanted to talk a little bit about why that commentary was there, just so folks maybe can have a better understanding of what was involved with it. But that domain is gone now, and there's still plenty. But there's still plenty of instances in D and D where magic can be used to take away player agency. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. So I think it's worth starting off by addressing uh, the term player agency. I don't know that that's an actually like known phrase that people are used to hearing or thinking about uh, is just sort of the the combination of words I put together when I was trying to sort of encapsulate this thing into into something that I could put in a title. Uh, so um, who's got an idea of what it is that we're talking about in terms of what what is meant by player agency in this case? Uh, if I could start uh, with player agency, it's um, kind of a de design philosophy idea that's been tossed around uh, over the years. But really, it's how how much um, how much decision making do the players get? Like, what can they do of their own volition without being told what to do by the rules, told what to do by the dungeon master? Uh, and in extreme cases, like when is it taken away completely? Like, for instance, if you're the subject of a dominate spell and then you absolutely have no agency or even if you are um, unconscious and dying, you basically can't do anything at that point. And so you're just at the mercy of uh, your fellow players and the, the dungeon master. So that's the idea is like agency is like what you can do with your character and what you're allowed to do with your character. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty fair. I think there's a lot of uh, I mean, the whole point of what makes role playing games fun is that the players get to do 
whatever it is they want to do, right? As opposed to playing a video game where they have very limited agency, they can select from a certain number of options in terms of what they want to do uh, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, RPGs and tabletop gaming sort of opens that wide open, right? And that's part of the fun is you can do all these different things. You can you can you know make all these different choices and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the game has elements that sort of take that away to varying degrees, as I think you mentioned, Ishmael, right? You have, um, mm-hmm. you have everything from I've been stunned for a round and it means I don't have the agency to do anything this round to I'm dominated for 24 hours and it's, you know, now I'm taking all kinds of actions and none of them are the actions that I decided to take. Um, is that sort of uncover sort of what we all think about in terms of the concept of player agency in, in this instance and what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I might even throw in like an extra layer that sometimes people run into is kind of the social aspect of player agency. When you're running with a group who is doing one thing, uh, there's a lot of uh, social pressure to act in a certain way with your character that you might not do otherwise. And that could be good um, or it could be bad. I've seen it both ways, but it it generally tends to be not on the bad side. So, so let's talk about what sort of things we're talking about in the game specifically that sort of put pressure on or impede or limit that player agency. Right. Uh, I think there's obvious things like there's the, the, the charm person spell or, um, even uh, the like the filter of love, uh, that kind of stuff, right? What, do we have any other possible things that come up to come to mind? I know, I know. Geese, okay, geese, modified memory, dominate monster, dominate person. I, those are all, you know, uh, suggestion. They, those are all spells that are well within the re- repertoire of wizards, sorcerers, bards that completely take away the agency and the free will of another being. And Geese is probably the worst of them because you cast it at a high enough level and it's, I think it's until dispelled. Mm-hmm. And the, the base level lasts, I think, 30 days, if I'm recalling off the top of my head. Then the next level up is a year and then beyond that is forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and Tracy, uh, we we mentioned in the intro that this was sort of inspired by the the release of the love domain uh, from Wizards of the Coast as part of one of their playtest things. So, what was it in the love domain specifically? When we talk about the sorts of things that are impeding player agency, what was it in the love domain that sort of impeded on player agency that that rubbed people the wrong way? And and that was the hard part. Was I don't I mean. There was Charm Person and a, a few other things, but a lot of them were had to do about, like, it seemed unlikely that you would use it against another PC, but you might be using it against NPCs. Um, I mean, any of the spells that you have that, say, like, take someone that is hostile to you, now make them friendly, like, you are changing how... You're, you're taking away that agency of that character. That character wouldn't have done that some of that stuff. Like, it's not like you could force it to do whatever you want it, but... If it was hostile and you make it friendly and now that makes does things that are more friendly to you, that's still not what it would have done if it was unaltered. I think probably where the rubbing people the wrong way came from was because it's under the guise of love and what in America we equate love with sex. And so therefore what it this is essentially saying is it, 
are we talking about now like potentially unconsensual sexual activities um, that are based upon charm spells? Uh, and that's very, very triggering for a lot of people. And it's also not appropriate. And I think if we're looking at alignment, you know, that's not something that a you know good or prob- probably even neutrally aligned character would, would do. Um, and so I think it's, I don't know if problematic is quite the right word, but it's a challenge. And I think it's something we haven't thought about because if you think typically of like, what is the evil magic caster, the magic user, it's the necromancer, right? But like, this is something I've been thinking a lot about in the campaign world that I'm setting up where like, I'm actually thinking of making in many cases, necromancy, not as evil as charm spells. And I'm working on making a whole section of the map where charm spells are basically outlawed. Yeah, and I think, and that's the part too, that gets kind of interesting, because you said like, there are certain people where it it might trigger them, right? Um, It might be a triggering type of thing to, to be suddenly put into this position. And then there are other people who want to use the game to explore the idea. Maybe in their life, they've never been in a situation where they did not have control, right? So some, I, I often hear this as like a counter, like, oh, well, you know, people want to be able to explore that in a game. And it's like, but just make sure everyone's okay with it up front. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't just surprise people with it. Well, that's where you want to have safety measures. And I think this whole big debate brings up a good question and discussion to have in Session Zero of what are we going to say about charm spells? Like, um, I, I play a, you said in the beginning, I play a bard, so my bard has a lot of charm spells, but typically um, when I'm using the different charm spells, it's to stop a bad guy from fighting us. Um, and my typical thing is I'll look at them and tell them, you're really tired and you need to go take a nap. And so that they leave and go back to their house and take a nap. Um, <laughs> and, and like, it's it's funny, it's fun, and it, I see it as like we're avoiding something bad because we're getting, you know, we're not having to kill this creature um, and they're just going to go take a nap and then kind of wake up and wonder why, why did I take a nap in the middle of a fight? But, you know, but I, I, it can definitely be pushed into places that are uncomfortable. And it, if we don't have a discussion on like, if we're using charm spells, what does that look like? How are, how are NPCs, how are people in the world going to react to this? And I think it's an interesting question for dungeon masters to think about of like, what are the laws around charm spells? Uh, if you're playing in a high magic world, it's not unknown that these exist. And so how would the local kingdoms and governments react to these things? Yeah, no. And and I, I recall, oh shoot, I can't remember what it is now, but there are settings and I want to say they're in movies and whatever, where, where there's a magic in place and, you know, you can do all kinds of crazy things with magic, but like when you start messing with other people's choice, when other people's free will, that's crossing a line that everybody sort of agrees is a no-no, right? And I, and you, you mentioned part of the issue with the love domain was pop was probably the association of calling it love, and we associate love with sex. And I think it's it's an issue as well, even if you don't associate love with sex in that way, right? Because it's still question like they're they're arguing that there is a mechanical effect that is love that can be forced on somebody basically um that you can force people to love you uh, as well and that's that's not a healthy view of of that emotion either you know so um so that's yeah so i think it was probably a good call for them to to pull it and even if they brought it back as the manipulation domain okay that's a that's a different thing. At least then we're being upfront about what we're doing, right? So, yeah, 
And another layer of kind of like what happened is I know there was the very controversial tweet that said, and I hope it's okay to say it here this way, but the call it the Reefy domain or something like that. Um, and I know there was a lot of people who was, they kind of had this reaction of, well, that's just going too far with it. And I think a lot of it too, also like in talking to some of them, it became clear that they didn't quite understand like how those types of drugs can always work. Like a lot of times they assume that it just knocks people out and I'm, I hope it's okay to talk about it this way. Um, and that's not always true. It actually sometimes is you, those types of drugs are sometimes used just to lower inhibitions, mm-hmm. which is very similar to what, if you think about it, that, that charm person was doing or, or the, the spells that move people from hostile to friendly. Uh, and that's why it became like, I think, kind of like a real controversy point is because there just was a lack of understanding of the broader, what these things are. Well, and and again, I think this idea of all these charm spells, it's really in a lot of ways has flown under the radar Um, because you kind of read about it. It's like, Oh, kind of haha funny. I can, it's sort of like a hypnosis trick or something. And, but you know, when you start thinking about it, it's like, Oh no, wait, this is awful. Right. Like, yeah, it's really, terrible what you're doing and like um and it really is questionable and like how how do we use this great power and again like it's i don't know i the more it's one of those things of the more i've thought about the charm spells the more problems i have with them um rather than the more i can understand them um and so it's not like i don't think we're any of us are saying here like oh we should get rid of them or outlaw them but i think the again that common theme in our games of saying like oh charm spells are just charm spells they're harmless whatever uh like even to think about like the cantrip friends you know it it's a you know a little questionable right it doesn't fully take control of the person but it gives you an advantage on persuading them an advantage on convincing them to do something they might not have otherwise wanted to do and uh it's it's again, you know, an interesting debate to have and really some good stuff to think about as a DM, but also like to understand like these are potentially problematic waters. And like where we get into trouble with DMing is when we don't think about the problems that could come up. You know, when we're like, um, I'm going to, you know, again, um, trigger warning for different content here, but maybe it's, oh, we're going to go into the Underdark and you know, this group of people in the Underdark are traditionally slavers, and so we're going to have that. And maybe that's an issue that's really hard for somebody in your group. And because you didn't talk about it or think about it, you've suddenly gotten into hot water where you're hurting somebody in your campaign and you didn't want to or putting them in a really uncomfortable position that you didn't want to. Um, and so it it complicates things. It gives the DMs more work because that's what we need. Right. But it's good stuff to think about and really in a lot of ways it can bring up some of the uh, deeper more meaningful content and I find in playing that can be where we have the most fun that even though it's difficult content even though it's not fun necessarily it's that stuff that makes us think and makes us take a step back and kind of see the world in a more complicated interesting way that's where D&D is this really great growth um, point for us. It can help us understand the world in a different way. So here's, here's 
like charm person, these kinds of things have been a staple for what the game has been for a long time. They're they're fairly common staple to the trope, to the to the fantasy genre, um, etc. Um, and it doesn't seem like we've traditionally had a big problem with you know with Obi Wan saying these aren't the droids you're looking for, right? Um, so where do we draw the line? What, what's okay and what's not okay? Where, where do we decide when it's how to use these things that in, in, a, in a way that's just fun and it's part of the, the genre and, and in ways that are potentially problematic for people? What do we think? And Ishmael, we haven't heard from you. If you want to start us off with your <laughs> thoughts, uh, well, we're pretty quiet. So, um, I, I guess to the point, it just speaks to the necessity of having um, – you know, uh, whatever you deem to be appropriate safety measures at the table, whether that's uh, using X cards, if you um, have a very elaborate session zero, where we talk about themes and, and potential uh, warnings, content warnings of your game, uh, or any other number of things that would be helpful to let people know uh, what to think. About. And then in turn, for you as a dungeon master to, to know what to kind of look out for. But uh, I, I think where you could potentially get to the most trouble is having players who um, maybe don't have a good idea of uh, what buttons they're supposed to or not supposed to press, what limits that they're they're kind of bound by. And that sounds really restrictive, but if you have a group of players that are going to be like, no, we're going to go and uh, murder all the orcs and enslave all the halflings, and that's they are thinking about that right from the get-go and uh, you don't have a session zero and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, why are you doing all these things? Uh, you know, those are those are things to consider. Uh, and if you have a group of, like I know uh, an idea that's always thrown around is to have a whole group composed only of bards. Well, then you've got like five people who are only, uh, who have primarily like, uh, you know, charm and enchantment spells. Uh, and at that point, it's going to be really difficult not to just go crazy with it. Uh, and so at that point, you're going to be want to be like, well, OK, you are a group of bards and all of you can cast Charm Person and, and so on. Um, but we're going to maybe kind of set some ground rules here because it could get out of control really quickly. Mm. I, I think it's interesting because you brought up the, the Star Wars reference. And recently I was watching with my child the... Um, there's a Star Wars Legos Freemakers. And in that, they have this character that attempts to do a similar sort of mind trick on another character. And that character actually doesn't fall for it. Um, and she's like, wait, I thought you said that it's only the weak, weak-willed or, or whatever that fall for this sort of thing. Why are you doing this to me? So they actually like talked about it a little bit more in terms of like, this is not always a good thing to do to to, to people and, and and stuff like that. So I think being able to have that conversation kind of similar to what Megan and you have been talking about in terms of like in your campaign world, what does this really mean? I think is an important part of being able to keep having it and not stopping the conversation if someone does say, hey, you know, this makes me feel a little icky or whatever, however they feel about it. And I think that's also a great place for as a dungeon master to pause the game. Um, I. I think in the realm of not wanting to step on player agency, some dungeon masters are a little afraid of pausing and just go, okay, that's what the player said. We're going to keep going forward and taking, you know, this is something we do a lot in the therapeutic games where we'll take a moment and be like, okay, you're having your character do X, even though they know that 
this and this and this can happen because the players might forget, right? Or like, recall you're in this land where if you do this thing, there's going to be this stuff that happens. And if the player's like, I know I've thought about it. I feel like I'm trapped though. And this is my best course. It's like, okay, okay. We have thought, we've thought through the potential consequences and we can move forward. Or if they go, oh shoot, I forgot. Thank you for reminding me that. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this thing instead. Um, it, it can be really wonderful because look, we all have a lot to remember. Um, there's a lot going on in our heads and we can't always remember every detail that we've learned about the worlds and what happens. Um, and also sometimes we forget the ground rules that were set at the table. And as dungeon masters, as uncomfortable as it can be at times to reinforce what are agreed upon and, you know, um, what was this trying to think a code of conduct is for the table um it's that's the important thing to do because one of the things is like for us to grow through playing there needs to be trust and at times we're going to be vulnerable we're going to be open and if we can't trust that the table is a safe place meaning that people are not going to deliberately violate our boundaries that they're not going to be intentionally mean that things are going to be supportive and helpful there uh we're not going to do that. And then we have a less rich game as a result. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's interesting because, because we're, we're largely talking in broad strokes. Right. Uh, and, and I think that's appropriate to a degree. And, and there's also, but there's also like, there's, it can get very nitty gritty. And, and, and I think we're talking in broad strokes because different tables have different tolerance levels and different people have different issues that might, be problematic for them or whatever, uh, right? Um, you know, I think, for example, you know, I think you're going to, if you have a, a short-term effect, uh, even a, a, you know, I had a, the, uh, just the last week I had, uh, the, my party was fighting a, a group of fey creatures or whatever. They threw up a wind wall so all of the fey arrows couldn't get through. Uh, and then this this pixie creature charms the the caster and gets him to, to, to drop the thing. Is the, the, the wind wall. Is that a problematic use of that kind of mind manipulation? I mean... Probably not in most cases because because it, it wasn't a long term thing. It was basically that uh, it was effectively used as a short term like dispel of that of that wall, right? Um, it didn't, mm -hmm. and, and it was you know after another round or two, the the character was able to make another save, and then then it was then that was the end of it, right? The the effect was done. Um, but if it had gone on for 24 hours, and that effect theoretically can go on for 24 hours, um, that could lead to more problematic issues, right? Yeah. And I think that's where, like, creating those boundaries with Session Zero, creating the laws of, you know, like, uh, what are the rules of engagement, you know? And are we following them, and do they make sense, and do we need to revisit them and modify them for at times? Because we we talked a little earlier about this connection with like the love potential connection with the love domain and 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 sex and stuff, but the reality is also there's like emotional manipulation and other stuff that people could be feeling, or this could be reminded of by s the way some of these things happen. It's and that's why it's hard and it's so 
you know, person by person type of thing. So it's hard to give like very broad general advice other than listen to each other and talk about rules of engagement and check in and everything. Um, because it, it's not, it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's not just right. Because so many tables you don't, you sit down and you don't do those basic things. So like, to say it's just doing that, it's not. That's not easy. Those aren't easy conversations to have. So it, it's, um, and I want to bring that up because, like, I think some DMs can fall into self-blaming and going, like, I'm a crappy DM because I'm not doing this. Like, no, this stuff is hard. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's hard to have these conversations. It's hard to set up these rules into the guidelines and then to figure out what we do when would we mess it up. Yeah, and I think, like, I don't know. I've been in many games and there's been emotional manipulation between the DM and the players, the players and the DM, the players and each other. Uh, and that's, in some cases, that's been part of the fun of that game too. But there's also, like, when somebody has that emotional manipulation with, you know, we're both players in the game and they, um, you know, they cast a geas on me and force me to behave a certain way, um, that chafes. Right, that bothers me. That takes away some of my fun as a player. But when the um, when the um, when the player has gone through like six months of play and just hidden things and had a, a bunch of good, you know, deception rolls or whatever, and it's been through through role play and all that kind of stuff, like that kind. I don't know. That feels fun to me, even though they were manipulating me at that point. Right. That was, it almost feels earned. Whereas the other one feels way too easy. You know, you, you, I made a bad, bad save and now I don't get to have fun anymore. You know, does, so, so I guess, does that idea matter? Does the idea of, um, how much the the people doing the manipulating, uh, the limiting of player agency or character agency, does the amount of work they have to put into it matter? It might, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things of there's no one good rule with this. Um, like, I think... A really awesome example yeah. of these kind of charm spells used really well by a player in a situation that uh, was really interesting was um, Laura Bailey on a Critical Role, where uh, spoilers for Campaign Two, she used modified memory against a, a hag to get uh, to break a curse, and it was brilliantly done. It was on point for her character, and you could see like. Matt Mercer completely felt like he had the rug ripped out from under him, but also that he, like, to your point, John, that he loved it. It's like, this was so spot on for character. This did everything, like, this was perfect. Um, but, like, I think the idea, though, is that there can be consequences, and it's not about punishing your players for taking away the DM agency of their NPCs. It's understanding that there's consequences, Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how to put this exactly, because obviously I'm not trained or anything like that. But overall, I mean, we're social people. We often are trying to convince other people to do things that we would want them to do. So that's like some people would con might consider that sort of emotional manipulation. But often when I'm trying to talk about it, it's things like if you were in when it gets more toxic, like 
when you actually are truly manipulating someone more than convincing them. It's not like you convince them that your idea is good. You just did things that you knew would make them do the thing that you wanted them to do. And for people who have been through that, it can be a little, a little harder for some of them, but that's, but a lot of times it's going to be fine for, for other things, or they've made it and have never, like a lot of folks maybe have never experienced that. So it's going to like, that's just a different thing. So it's more just recognizing when that sort of bringing up toxicity from someone's life uh, and then starting to make them not enjoy the game as much figuring when that's happening and talking through it. So, and figuring out how to go forward. Yeah. So, so I, and it sounds like obviously part of part of the issue with figuring out where the line is, is that it, the line is in a different place for different groups, for different players who have different experiences and whatever. Um, so, and, and it's also been mentioned that DMing has a lot of things to consider and a lot of things to do. And you're not necessarily a bad DM if you're not remembering to do all of these things, right? So my, I guess my question at this point then is how much of – how much should a player be forthright about these things, right? If that's something that's a problem for me as a player – is it incumbent on me to say something when I join a game? Hey, just so you know, I have ex certain experiences and I'm not comfortable with this kind of thing happening in play. I just want everybody to be, be aware of that. Is, that. is is that fair to ask players to do? Because then you're also asking them to sort of share things that are problematic for them, right? And uh, there's baggage with that. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I guess I would uh, say that... Um, if there's some, it would be imperative that there be some kind of venue for the player to share that with the dungeon master specifically. Uh, and then it could, it, it depends on the circumstances. Like if it's a player coming in mid campaign, it might be more difficult, but let's say it's at the very beginning. Uh, and you want to go to your DM and say, these things make me uncomfortable. Um, you know, I know what I would do if someone came to me to with that, I would then take their input and shoot it out and say, hey, guys, these are things that we're not going to do. Um, you know, people at the table aren't comfortable. We don't need to name names. Uh, but I want to be the one to put this forward and we can talk about that. But I also want you to know that we're very likely not going to broach these subjects or we're going to be extra careful about them or however however I would see uh, necessary to, to do that in a good way that's um, going to be good for everybody at the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think there's a few things there because, like, you bring up a really great point that when we're asking players to do that and expecting that, it's again that vulnerability piece, right? They're having to be vulnerable. Like, I was in the army. I've been, you know, in a war zone. There's certain things I don't want to see in a campaign, but I don't always want to talk about them either because they're traumatic. Um, and it, so it can be hard to talk about that stuff and how to bring it up. I think a really awesome tool that um, all DMs need to get if they are uh, running a, a campaign that's longer than a few sessions is uh, Monty Cook's Consent in Gaming. It has a wonderful one sheet in the very back, um, and it's free. Just go download it. It's wonderful um, where you can uh, – you ha the players do put their names on it, but I actually would encourage, like, let them – fill this in anonymously and it has a light system of green, yellow, red for different topics. And then you could fill in other topics too. 
um, that you don't want to see or how much you're willing to see or not see in the campaign. And that's just a really great tool for the DM to kind of get this idea of where the lines might be for players. And it might be a good thing to, um, like if you have a longstanding campaign to look at every once in a while, because sometimes things that happen to people, like things happen and people change where they're at with some of those things too. Um, so, so that might be a good idea as well. So I have a, I have a question of, of personal uh, <laughs> uh, thought at this point. Uh, personal in as much as I am, my current campaign is getting ready to transition into Curse of Strahd. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Strahd and vampires are, are rife with this kind of stuff, right? Uh, I once heard uh, Tracy Hickman, who is one of the authors of the original uh, Ravenloft adventure where Strahd was created, describe vampires as... Uh, almost by definition in his mind, symbolic of sort of uh, a, a dominance and oftentimes a sexual dominance and, and that kind of stuff, right? That's that's part of what they represent in our consciousness. Uh, and one of the go-to tricks for Strahd is, oh, I sneak up when somebody's alone, I charm him real quick, now I got an ally for a while and I can get him to, to you know, mess up the rest of the party and do that kind of stuff, Right. Um, and there is sort of this almost uh, seduction element to to Strahd and, and his actions and the way he behaves and his tactics. Um, so how do I, 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 as I've been thinking about this and getting ready for this episode, I keep thinking, you know, I'm like a couple sessions away, like in the next month, I might be like trying to seduce people with Strahd and, and where does that fit into all this conversation? And, and, and I don't know, like, what do you all think? Uh, how do you handle Strahd? I'm going to lean on a quote that I heard from Lauren Urban, which was just because we know that the roller coaster passed its safety inspection doesn't make the ride any less fun. Right. And so sitting down and saying like, this is curse of Strahd. Strahd likes to mess with people's minds and chart. He might come in and manipulate you and turn you into an agent of his. And so that might be a thing that happens to your character. If that's not something that you're comfortable with playing in Ravenloft is not going to fit like that. I, I got to play on tales of the mist and they were very explicit on talking about, you know, with playing in Ravenloft, what that looks like and what, you know, playing this sort of Gothic horror is and what are some of the parts in it and where your player agency might be taken away and understanding that it is consenting to that. And you still get to have lines and to communicate those. And you want to have that clear setting, but it is just saying like, there's a chance you could be turned into a double agent during this game. Are you going to be okay with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was, and I, I know, like, we talked about the importance of, of a session zero and whatever. And I tried, I did a little bit of this work, this laying the groundwork uh, back when I was, and, and for me in this case, it was actually I was meeting this group for the first time, right? So it wasn't just a session zero. It was also like, hey, I don't know any of you. I met you online, and now I'm going to be your DM. Uh, and, and I didn't explicitly address the issue of Strahd, but I did address a little bit of the issue of like, hey, how would you feel like you've got this character background? How would you feel if I like manipulated you through that? Are you OK, you know, with that? But I did it with a few players um, because of their backgrounds. And then there's other players who's like, oh, like in hindsight now, like I should have just asked everybody because I knew where this was going. Like I knew from from level zero that I eventually wanted to move into Curse of Strahd. Um, so, so, 
So what do I? So do I bring it up mid campaign? And what if the answer is uh, I'm uncomfortable with that? You know, if the answer is I'm uncomfortable with that, then does the campaign change? You know, I don't want to drive somebody out of the game just because you know because I didn't tell them partway through or whatever. But that becomes a whole other difficult conversation. Well, it, yes, you have the conversation midway because well, I'm a big fan of bottling, which means we show what we mean. And like, we are all humans. We all screw up. I've screwed up before. Like I, and I'm going to screw up again in the future. Um, and when we screw up, we need, I think it's really, really important for us to own it and to say, I did this and here's what I think I should have done instead. And so I didn't do that then, but I'm going to do it now and we're going to see what happens. Right. And if a player's uncomfortable, then we, we talk about it and say like, and it's a help me understand what's making you uncomfortable. Is it the loss of agency? Is it you don't want to betray your friends? Um, and when we can understand the source of the discomfort a little bit better, we can better adjust and work around that. Yeah, and I know we, I mean, we've been talking about, because this is more of a, like, how can this sometimes go wrong thing? But you don't know until you've talked to them. Maybe they're all super into that possibility of exploring losing that type of control in a game situation. Uh, and you won't know unless you ask them. <laughs> right. Well, and I think, I think I've gotten to know my players well enough that I think they would be okay with it. But there's a couple of players who are a little less talkative and open about these things. So it makes me a little unsure with a few cases. Um, maybe I just need to send out an email saying, Hey, this is some you know, and I could even use like the last session. I told you that there was this charm by by this uh, pixie like creature, right? Uh, I could even use that. Hey, this kind of thing happened, and that could have gone on for like twenty four hours of being manipulated. What would we all have thought about that? And use that to sort of gauge, um, you know, without spoiling what Strahd's tactics might be, right? That can help me sort of gauge a little bit of, of their comfort level with that. I think so. I was uh, also going to add in uh, that so much of it is circumstantial. You could consider like a Curse of Strahd campaign to be one of the quintessential like, oh, you need to be careful with this campaign. It might not be for you. But I think uh, a very um, I think a lot about the Vampire the Masquerade uh, and, you know, any any iteration of Vampire, you know, the Masquerade, the, the Requiem or what have you, uh, because a lot of it is about um you know, mundane manipulation. A lot of it is about supernatural manipulation, uh, and so much of a, a, a given vampire game is about seeding uh, agency, uh, gaining agency over others, and so on. Uh, and I think, especially a game like that, is going to require a lot more safeguards, a lot more communication, uh, and so you've got like this spectrum. Uh, between like most D&D games, I'm, I'm generalizing here, so correct me if I'm wrong, and like say a Vampire the Masquerade game and like maybe somewhere in between you've got Curse of Strahd because it's got vampires and that's kind of their shtick is that they manipulate people. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about like what DMs and what the player that is having a reaction or something or similar can do, but should we also talk about bystanders? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Cause sometimes it can be, I wasn't able to help or I see this happening and I'm helpless against it. And that's, that sucks. Um, and that's where safety measures like the X card can be very powerful and helpful. It, 
they can be really hard to use though. Um, because there's a lot of social pressure at the table to keep the narrative going and to keep things going. And also as a DM, there's a lot that's happening physically on that table. And if someone's got their X card suddenly showing, you might miss it because there's just a lot of stuff happening. Um, and so that can be a problem as well. And how do we manage that? And so I don't have a more, or I'm still trying to figure out a better solution to it. I have great solutions for online games, but for live games, um, still working it because i know sometimes one of the suggestions for folk for tables um is sometimes have a a person who's like the rules person would maybe it make sense for there to be a way for someone that's more looking for those cards like that's kind of like like similar to the rules or or something like that obviously they probably want to talk through how the best way to point out that the card is out so that it just doesn't suddenly come to an abrupt halt and I don't know how to put it. You don't want to have the person who puts the X card out feel, you know, like a spotlight's on them necessarily. Right. Yeah. My, and and so people know, because I think uh, we've, we've used the the term, uh, the X card several times, but I don't know that we've actually described it. The idea of the X card. And I think, we talked about it episodes and episodes ago. The idea of the X card is that everybody sort of has this this index card with an X on it or whatever. And whenever there's anything that comes up in the game that they're uncomfortable with, they can they can show that card. Or you have one card in the middle of the table and you kind of just touch it when when something comes up and you're a little uncomfortable. And that's a signal to everybody that you know no questions asked. You just you know we move on and we do something else. You know we we shift gears a little bit. Um, and I was just thinking as we're talking through how to do it without singling people out or eliminating some of that that social pressure and whatever. One of the tools that my current group um, has is using a lot, and it was actually the way that they communicated rather than emailing and whatever when I b- before I even joined was we have our own uh, sort of Discord chat going on, right? Uh, and that's how we talk to each other. But they've also used it in many cases. Uh, you know, about every other session, I get a private message on Discord um, from a player at the table who's like, oh, yeah, this thing is also going on. Or, you know, to the rest of the group, I I, I told them that this was my greatest fear, but really it's this other thing, just so you know, as the DM. You know, so, so they're able to sort of give me as the DM more information, but nobody's aware that they're even doing it. Uh, and so that, you know, and so I just sort of keep my phone open, uh, and next to me, and then they can send me little messages like that in the middle of the game. And that could be a very easy way of doing the S card. And then I, as the DM know, okay, it's time to move on from this thing, uh, and, and shift gears and not focus on this because, because somebody's uncomfortable, but nobody has any idea who it is. Uh, you know, it's just because half the group is futzing on their phones at any given time. Right. So, (laughs) So I don't know if that's a solution for everybody, but that, that would work at my table, I think. So, yeah, and again, though, but that relies on you having your phone out, paying attention to the you know messages that are coming up, not having things on do not disturb. So there's, it's just there's a big what uh, psych term for it is cognitive load, meaning mm-hmm. a lot of things that you're paying attention to when you're DMing, and so you, it, something's got to fall off, especially if you're running a very difficult campaign and figuring it out so like it maybe having somebody who is the designated safety person or boundaries person um could be a great solution to that as well yeah the cognitive load's a good way of trying to describe i think to why we're giving the advice is that um by sidestepping some potential problems it actually can help reduce that load a little bit because you're not having to think about it as much to the table because 
you already know to some degree what is allowed and what isn't. I don't know how to put it, but I think I hear I, I hear a lot of people who are really anxious about things. So, but they're just going to run with it anyway because our culture is still pretty much about not talking <laughs> to each other. Uh, and then so they have this this constant background conversation in their head about is this going to be okay? Is it not? Are they going to react well? And it, it distracts from the gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And and ultimately, like. The classic gaming advice that I've been hearing from from podcasters and bloggers and everybody else in the industry uh, for going on you know, probably 20 years or more uh, is, of course, talk to your players, right? Talk to your DM, talk to mm-hmm. talk to each other at the table. And, all, and I think that's really crucial to a lot of what we're saying. But I don't, also don't want to minimalize that, right? That's, that's not just a simple thing to do. Uh, and knowing how to do that and what to talk about is... is um, is different at different tables. It's different with different people in different situations. Um, and so it's, it's a constant sort of conversation of just keeping this, this openness and, and being f- comfortable enough with each other that you can do that and recognizing that that's still not going to, to hit everything, right? Somebody might still be uncomfortable enough to, about a specific thing to bring up. Or you bring in the one new person to the table and they're not comfortable on session one or session two. What do they say? What do they do? How do they handle that? Um, you know, uh, and it's something that, that I think about, right? You know, I'll occasionally over the years, I'll have somebody new decide to come and join the table and then they play for a session or two and then they leave and they're like, yeah, it just wasn't my thing. It's like, okay, but was it not your thing or was there something there that bothered you and you just weren't comfortable enough to say something or, or, you know, I, I didn't open it up mm-hmm. to it or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I guess the trick is it, it, I don't know. It's hard and you just keep trying. Is that sort of the, the, the gist here? Yeah, it, it's hard and it's important to continue to have these conversations. Um, one of the things I do a lot with my players for the live stream game I do clinical role is I, I check in with my players afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, like there was a session where one of the players in character was very, very angry and upset. Um, and I actually called the player the way they were out in uh, Seattle and I called them after the game and I was like, are you okay? Cause you, you're, I, I was assuming all the anger was in character, but I don't want to make a false assumption. Right. Um, and, and like, I think for DMS, one of the big things with that is humility, understanding that we're not always right and being okay with not always being right because we can't grow and we can't become better if we don't understand where our weaknesses are, where the things are that we didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trust and trust your gut. If your gut's telling you, like, I don't think that went the way it was supposed to go, it maybe didn't. And so it's a good idea at that point to check in. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things, um, and we've we, I, I don't know. I feel like we've talked in big, broad strokes about a lot of things, and gotten into some specific details on a few things here and there, and all that. And, uh, and that's just sort of the nature of the way these things work. Sometimes, um, you know, maybe we needed to do a, a call-in show where people can call in and talk about those specific issues and <laughs> and, and get down to the nitty gritty <laughs> with them in their table. But but that's not the situation here. So. Um, we're, we're knocking on the door of, um, uh, close to an hour here. So I wanted to see if anybody had any sort of, uh, last thoughts, th- 
things they wanted to share on this issue of uh, player slash character agency and the way that that gets manipulated in D and D and and all of that. So, any last thoughts or things you know you want to summarize or reiterate? Um, I, I guess the it would just be a matter of uh, trust and communication. That's a really big part of both of them. Like, it's not just trust that everyone else at the table is going to be doing the things that you need to, them to or not the things that you would like them not to, but also trust that your input is going to be received well. Trust that you can have a conversation about what you need from the table you know, what kind of changes uh, you might want to see even mid-play. Um, and communication is big, too. And I think there's such, speaking of trust, there's such a tremendous amount of inherent trust built into the um, role of dungeon master, game master, what have you, that um, it is kind of maybe the duty of whoever's running the game to um, reach out and make sure that everything is okay and to be aware and to listen and to um, just understand like maybe someone didn't have a good day. Uh, maybe someone is showing signs and it's, it's not a perfect thing. You can't like, you can't be expected to notice everyone, but like if you at least put in the token effort, um, you'll, you'll probably yield more good results than not. You'll probably find that people will reciprocate your uh, attempt at communication and uh, maybe next time they'll just come and tell you. Uh, maybe next time they'll know that there's a line of communication and they'll, they'll know to talk to you about certain topics. But really, uh, when you're running a game, uh, it's not just about making sure you've got all the maps and minis and, and the adventure memorized. It's about uh, making sure that you uh, do your best to read the room uh, do your your best to to make sure that everyone's having a good time, whether that's having fun because you're chopping up goblins or making sure that no one's getting upset because of something that happened uh, in a specific circumstance to a specific character that might might be traumatizing or upsetting in some way. Yeah, I think that's great. The only thing I would add to that is you don't have to have an eloquent answer. Sometimes DMing is articulating that you see something as problematic and noting that you don't quite know how to handle it and what you're going to do with it. Open it up to your players, let them have some input, and maybe understand that it changes as you go. And then, so I work in tech, and we have this thing, it's probably way too heavy for for what we're talking about, but I think it has some good things to it. So whenever there is um, an incident, like somebody, something happens and um, the site goes down or service isn't available, we have this thing called a blameless postmortem. And the key parts of it are that it's about what happened uh, and how we can make things better. So people are, uh, everyone's allowed to open up and offer suggestions for making it better. And the key part is like the blameless part, like, we don't assume ill intent, uh, you know, and we just, we talk through the issue in a way that's not about blaming people or, or anything like that. It's just about really trying to get a better resolution in the future. Uh, and, and taking that sort of approach, I think could be useful here. Uh, probably don't want to do an actual postmortem process, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but having that sort of like openness and, and willingness to talk through things and, and allowing everyone to come up with potentially some things that would so, uh, help make better in the future would, would be useful. Although to some degree, there's there can be an almost postmortem type situation that you could use. Like I've had situations uh, at my table where it's like, I don't know if this player was uncomfortable or if they were just role playing the discomfort of their character. And so afterwards, I would I would check in with them and I, and we would take it apart and say, okay, what was what and what was going on and 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 where was the line and and. and are you okay? You know, and all of that. And so uh, you can do a little bit of that, you know, and check in with people and find out what's, what happened or how it went down and how we feel about it. So. Great. Good. All right. I think that's all uh, fantastic advice and, and good things to, to think about and roll around in our brains. And, um, and, and, you know, I think we, we fixed it all, right. It's all better. Um, (laughs) You listen to this episode and your journey is complete. uh, You'll never have this problem. Right. (laughs) All right, we're going to call that the end of the episode then. And we'd like to say thank you to our guest. Uh, Megan, where can folks find you online? Uh, I spend an enormous amount of time on Twitter, probably more now with COVID-19 coming around. I'm going to be housebound. Uh, so I'm at Megan Sidey on Twitter. I'm also on uh, the Geeks Like Us uh, YouTube and Twitch channels uh, streaming Dungeons and Dragons and I host a series called Psychology at the Table where we talk about how to have difficult conversations and how to help your friends who are having challenges at the table. And that's Megan M-E-G-A-N and Psy P-S-Y. Yes. yes. Right. Ismail? Uh, yes, I can be fi- found on Facebook and or Twitter under King Laura Thorne or Elven Wizard King. Um, and, uh, yeah, I frequent, uh, Twitter a lot more these days, so you'll usually find me there. And, uh, I do, uh, some work as the, uh, not some work, I work as the, um, social media manager for the Tom show, uh, but I'm more active, uh, on the Facebook side of things for the Tom show. So if something got, if an episode got posted on, on the Tom show's Facebook page, uh, it was probably Ishmael that posted it. So this guy. Nice. And we'd also like to say thank you to the listeners who support our show on a, by using the affiliate links with Amazon and DMs Guild, as well as those who support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show, like Jill Sanders, Jeremiah McCoy, and Doug Palmer. If you want to send me hate mail because you are a patron and we didn't explicitly name you and thank you, uh, you can email, uh, or for anything else, you can email the Tome Show at gmail.com. That comes to me. Uh, you can also find Tracy she, on Twitter. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. You can find me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can also tweet the show, at, which is at The Tome Show. And that's episode 335, where we taste-tested elixirs of love and decided the best flavor is Code Red. In this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm not a